And uh, so this morning we uh, spoke about the fact that uh, within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ there is confusion. And that confusion has uh, really occurred um, essentially for one reason and one reason alone. And that is that we have allowed the world to come into the church, to penetrate if you like, and to come right inside. We have allowed the world to come into our hearts and into our lives. And now there's a sense of confusion. So we've been talking the last couple of Sundays about uh, wives submitting to your husbands. And of course the world isn't interested in that, is it? Nobody wants to submit to anybody, quite frankly, let alone to the guy that you've married, you know. I mean, let's face it. And then we've spoken about the fact that husbands as well, when it comes to the way that we live our lives, so that our wives indeed can submit to us, everything is contrary to what the world has to say. The way children are brought up today, it's contrary. The world is not interested in the message of the gospel. The fact is that uh, when Peter, and Paul for that matter, gave the instruction as the Holy Spirit worked in them as to how families should live and how families should operate, it wasn't something that it was arm's length. It wasn't something that was, you know, try and do your best at this. It was something that was meant to be Uh, There in our hearts. And we've discovered, of course, that if we can't live the Christian life in our families, well, the fact is we can't live it anywhere. If we can't live it with our wife, how are we going to live it with anybody else? If we can't live it with our children, how can we possibly make an impact in the world in which we find ourselves to be a part of? If our children are not interested in obeying, if they're not interested in respecting us, and there are probably or possibly some good reasons as to why they wouldn't be prepared to respect us, perhaps because of the way we treat them. And we discovered that there is this... uh, Um, reciprocal process, you know, uh, 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 how we employ people uh, depends very much on the way that employees work and so on, how we treat our children and so on, how we treat our wives and so on. Now, uh, this evening, I don't want to be seen to be somebody who is critical of another man, but I want to tell you about a friend, and I hope he's still a friend in a sense after this. I met a guy called Steve Chalk many, many years ago. Now, I'm sure nobody's heard of Steve Chalk because Steve Chalk lives in the UK and uh, he's uh, very much involved in the church uh, um, there. But Steve Chalk was uh, converted in South London, and uh, he went to Bible college, and uh, when he came out of Bible college, where he had uh, been living, there was a, a Baptist church, and he went along to the Baptist church, and he found that the church was almost empty. There was literally just a handful of older people that was left, mainly older women. You know, the sort of women that run churches and make sure that everything happens in the right way and there's no change and so on. And Steve uh, just felt God was saying to him, you're the pastor of this church. And so he spoke to these elderly, elderly ladies uh, in the main, the ones that the matriarchal characters who controlled things, And they agreed to give it a go. Young guy, let's see what happens. And so Steve began his ministry in that church. Steve was very, very gifted as a speaker. As an evangelist particularly, he was able to share the gospel very clearly, very powerfully, in a very um, passionate way. And uh, before long, the church began to see people coming in, strangers, The old ladies weren't too keen on some of them, but, you know, God's choice is God's choice as he brings people in to the church. And slowly but surely, the church began to fill. And, uh, in fact, it ended up being completely full. And then Steve uh, was noticed uh, by a producer from the BBC. And there was a, did you know that the most popular uh, program of all programs on TV 
in the UK on the BBC is Songs of Praise on a Sunday night, 6 o'clock. It has the biggest single audience for the whole week. Fascinating. You know, the one program that they've been trying to axe for decades, they can't get rid of it because so many people enjoy it and watch it and listen to it. And it's where songs are brought together and where uh, different churches are involved and so on. And so Steve was invited to be the uh, presenter for that program because of his ability to just speak and to talk and to explain things, uh, which was very, very, very a, a great gift that he had. And I think one of the sound bites I remember from uh, Steve's ministry, he said, he said this, and I, I, politically it's incorrect completely. He said, if I could cut down the entire Amazon rainforest and make paper to print Bibles, I would do it. Now, could you imagine saying something like that at this present moment in time? Because apparently it's the Amazon rainforest that is saving the world from uh, global warming and all the rest of it. But that was what he had to say because he said, God's word is so important. I'm passionate about God's word. I want to print a Bible, give it to everybody, make sure everybody in the whole world has it. He was determined to be able to do this. And my involvement with Steve Chalk uh, really centered around a project that was called Radio Cracker and all over uh, the UK um, during the period, the month of, of December, somewhere in the end of the 80s, beginning of the 90s, we had these little radio stations that were set up all over the country, thousands of them, because you could obtain what was called a special event radio license. And these little licenses allowed the stations to operate completely legally without any hindrance for a 28-day period. And so all over the country, uh, these little stations were operating and everybody was interested in Radio Cracker because it was uh, something that a lot of time and effort had been put into it. And Steve Chalk had done his level best to present it and to make sure that it was accepted. And the station that we operated in uh, the town of Bawtry in South Yorkshire was very successful. We had people uh, contacting us from the local community that we'd never heard from before and were able to uh, share the gospel and be able to, to bring the message of salvation right the way into the hearts, into the homes of people and, and uh, into their hearts. People were converted through Radio Cracker. And so Steve Chalk was a man mightily used of God until suddenly something changed. And all of a sudden he began to say, but can we depend upon God's word? Can we actually trust the Bible? You know, let's cut down the rainforests and print everyone a Bible. But can we trust God's word in the Bible? Steve is now the pastor of Oasis Church in Wimbledon in southwest London. He has a congregation running into several thousands of people. But he has been prepared to say that the Bible is not the entire word of God. It's not something that we can trust in its entirety. His church supports uh, London Pride and many, many people have been coming as a result of the work that they are doing. But is Steve Chalk right in what he is saying at the moment? I listened to an interview with him just this week in preparing this message. And as I said, it's not something that I would normally do is to raise criticism. And as I listened to him, I thought to myself, maybe, just maybe, he's got a point on certain things. Because there are some things within Scripture which we do find contradictory. 
There are some names that are quoted from the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and there seems to be some inconsistency with them. But I think the problem that Steve has got to is the fact that he is now prepared to say, we can't trust God's word. And we need to think very carefully about this. The Apostle Paul, when he uh, went to Corinth, I think was faced with one of the biggest challenges you could ever imagine. Could you imagine looking up a job description, pastor wanted in Corinth? And then it goes down the sort of, you know, qualities of the church. And suddenly you begin to realize that this church in Corinth has got a huge number of problems. There's all sorts of things going on there. There's legal disputes between different people. They're suing each other, trying to get money out. They're trying to, uh, to, to, to bring the law into the situation. And is this, a, is this a church one wants to get involved in? And then Paul reads about the details of sexual immorality. And he turns to, uh, if we turn into uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 briefly, And uh, we just see what he has to say in the opening verses. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality amongst you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. Now that sounds like the sort of church you want to avoid, doesn't it? Who wants to be involved with this lot? And the list of things and problems and issues just goes on and on and on. Idol worship. Women in the church. Spiritual gifts. Confusion. Then he has a wonderful chapter on love because there's a lack of love that's taking place. It's even been reported that at Lord's Supper, they're drunk. They're drinking too much. Now, could you imagine filling out the application form for a church in that situation? You'd want to run, wouldn't you? You imagine your life being occupied with that lot? But Paul goes to Corinth, a city where philosophy is the name of the game. People are able to explain and talk around all these situations from a philosophical position. And Paul goes to Corinth. And we're told here, as Emma read to us, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined that I know nothing, I know anything about, uh, among you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Back in AD 65, the church of the Lord Jesus was in serious trouble in the, in the city of Corinth. It could only be described as a defiled church. There were many things that we just couldn't even imagine, as I've said, that were taking place. Some were twisting the scriptures. Twisting the scriptures to make allowance for them to use the grace of God as an excuse for worldly living. But I want to suggest to you that whilst we might point the finger at the church of Corinth, are we really any better? 
It was also a divided church. There were at least four different groups competing for leadership. The church was what you could describe as a mess. And how did it all happen? Very simply, in the same way that it always happens. The church in Corinth allowed the sins of the city, the sin of the world outside of the church, to come inside the church. Corinth was a polluted city. It was a filthy place, morally speaking. Every kind of vice that you could imagine. And people allowed this to come into the church. And sin in the church always wreaks havoc. Corinth was also a proud city. As I've said, philosophy was the name of the game with many itinerant uh, teachers promoting their speculations. And sadly, this philosophical approach was also being applied to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the gospel and. And it caused divisions. So briefly, if we turn to uh, Romans uh, chapter 1, we can begin to understand exactly what Paul is talking about here. Romans chapter 1 and just a few verses uh, to read uh, verse 21 to 31. This is a description really of the situation there in Corinth. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and in their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changing the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. And for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. This was Corinth. This was the situation that the city was in. And as I say, I want you to think for a moment about our societies, the churches that we're a part of, 
We're not immune to this. So what did Paul do when he arrived in Corinth? Well, our verses tell us very, very clearly and very simply. In fact, there's nothing complicated about them at all. But notice that what he did not do was, uh, uh, was to come in with an excellent sort of argument. He hadn't come in with speeches or wisdom declaring uh, to you the testimony of God. The gospel is not about us. And Paul knew that the power was in the gospel, not in what he had to say himself. And so often we've got to be careful because we can come in with the idea that we can sort everything out. Bring in a good preacher, bring in an evangelist or whatever it is to be able to deal with the situation. But it is not the words of any man. In other words, Paul is saying that it's not my words that matter. Paul did exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ had commanded him and indeed all of us to do. All of us who are believers to do. What is that? It is to preach the gospel. And it strikes me that the confusion in the church today is not just about whether women should submit to husbands. But the confusion that we have in the church today is well, what are we actually preaching? What are we actually talking to people? What are we explaining to people? And sometimes you ask um, a pastor or a preacher, what is it that's important? And it's confusing. But the scriptures explain very clearly. Jesus explained very clearly what it is that we are to do, which is to preach the gospel. Paul knew the last words of the Lord Jesus Christ as he ascended back to heaven. He knew the words of Matthew 28, but Paul also knew the words of the Great Commission that's found in Luke's gospel, which explains exactly what it is that we should be preaching. Luke 24, 44 to 49. Go into the world and tell the world about, tell the world about Christ, that Christ rose from the dead on the third day and that you need repentance and remission of sin. These are the words that Jesus had explained and had spoken to, uh, to the disciples. And so this is what Paul preaches as he goes to Corinth, as he goes to this church which is struggling in every area of its life. This is what Paul told the people who knew it all. This is what Paul told the people who had it all. This is what Paul told the people who enjoyed carnal, worldly pleasures. Because all Paul could do was preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was it. That was the message that he had to bring. And that's the message that he stood up and proclaimed to the people in Corinth. Paul begins by explaining that the gospel of Jesus Christ centers in the death of Jesus. The first two verses explain that to us very clearly when we uh, turn to them again. So 1 Corinthians 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
As you know, the words that go before what are said is often an important point to look at. They give us the context, etc. And Paul begins verse 1 by saying, and I. I don't know if you noticed those words before. And I. And I what? What he's saying here is that chapter 1, verse 31, is the link to what I'm saying in chapter 2, verse 1. And I. In other words, according to the previous verse, it's important that we understand that. So what does chapter 1 verse 31 say? Well, let's read it together. It simply says, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He who glories, let him in the glory of the Lord. So Paul is saying on the basis of the glory of God, I am now speaking to you and I am declaring to you the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified. You see, Paul, when he speaks, speaks only of the glory of God. Never himself. Never does he talk about himself. And he immediately starts talking about Jesus. Why? Because he was commanded to. Why? Because that's all we have to say. Paul instantly gets to the heart of the gospel and says, For I'm determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, you might have all sorts of doctrine. You might be able to remember all the stuff you were taught as kids. You might be able to quote it. You might remember your catechism classes. You might remember... I. <laughs> I sometimes wish I knew where my catechism class cards were, but I've got no idea. I've wanted to try and find them, but they're somewhere in England, I suppose. And yet I don't need them, do I? Because what I need to know is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There was a little girl who attended church with her family. Always sat in the same place. You know how you get into habits of sitting in the same place. And one day there was a visiting speaker in the church. Behind the pulpit there was a very, very pretty stained glass window that depicted a scene of Jesus on the cross. And as I say, one Sunday there was a, a visiting speaker and the visiting speaker was shorter than the pastor of the church. Didn't have the same stature. But the man spoke about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the little girl, young though she was, was fascinated to hear what he had to say. She found herself not just listening, but actually hearing in her heart. She enjoyed what he was saying. It meant so much to her. And just as the preacher was about to come to an end, she nudges her mother and says, where's the man who usually stands at the front and hides Jesus from us? Because you see, the man who was speaking was shorter and she could look over him and see the window. But she wanted to know where the man who normally hid Jesus was.
And sadly today, there are preachers and pastors who seem to be going out of their way to hide Jesus. It's almost as if they're afraid someone's going to be converted. It's almost afraid as though they're worried that someone has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul gets right to the point and he says, Jesus died for you. Christ died for your sin. He can't hide the fact that this is the message that he has to preach. So that was what Paul explains Christ died for you. But what was Paul's aim as he spoke to the Corinthians? Well, if we turn to verse 5 of chapter 2, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. <clears throat> Paul knew what people were like. <clears throat> he knew what their hearts were like. And friends from the congregation stood in front of Paul in Corinth with all its problems. And the congregation that we meet here, in church after church, nothing's different. The heart of man has not changed. The hearts of men and women are the same today as they have always been. We're the same. Oh yes, we're supposed to be sophisticated, clever. We know how big the sun is. We know that there's other solar systems around us. I was listening to a radio program and my wife and I were in the car and it was talking about the surgeries that can be carried out on babies still in the womb. Fascinating. But I thought to myself, half the medical resources are being put in trying to bring the life of a baby to an end and the other half are being put into saving the life of a baby. And it was fascinating that when they talked about the procedures, <clears throat> for example, something to do with sickle cell anemia. Uh, no, that's, I might have used the wrong words there, forgive me. Um, and they talked about a baby. But when they want to terminate the baby, it's a fetus. It's amazing how words change. But you see, the heart of man is the same. Romans 1 talks about our society in the same way as it did about Corinth. There's no change. So often we listen to the words of the man speaking and in so doing we're not listening to God. And Paul wanted the Corinthians not to trust him. 
He wanted them to trust God. He didn't want them to trust in wise-sounding words. He wanted them to trust in God. You see, if Paul had depended upon human wisdom and presented the plan of salvation as some philosophical system, then the Corinthians would have put their trust in simply an explanation. But an explanation doesn't save you. So Paul did not do that. Paul declared the word of God in the power of God. And those who came to faith in Jesus Christ put their faith in a demonstration of that power. Now, how was it a demonstration? Because the power of God is demonstrated in our lives when we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in closing, I ask the question, have you witnessed the demonstration of God's power in your life? Have you seen a change in your life? As the power of God is at work through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit in you. Perhaps this evening you wish with all your heart you could see that power at work in your life. But you haven't. You've gone on for decades. You've been hoping and you've been thinking, you've been praying, you've been hoping with all your heart that you would see it one day, and it's elusive, it's gone. It just doesn't seem to happen to you. Other people talk to you, and they talk about this wonderful experience that has taken place, and they are able to say, I have seen Jesus. I have felt Jesus at work in my life. I have seen changes in me, and I have seen a demonstration of the power that's spoken of in the Scriptures at work in me. And you walk out again, And the same coldness occupies your heart as it did the week before and the week before that. And you just don't get it. You see, unless the Holy Spirit is at work, there can be no salvation. I read the account of a man who attended church every Sunday. Decent chap. In fact, he never missed a Sunday. He had a good, well-paying job. He was respected in the community. People looked up to him. He was on lots of different committees. But the man was not saved. He wasn't antagonistic towards the gospel, towards the Christian faith. He had a respect for Jesus. He saw Jesus as a good man, as a good teacher. He saw Jesus as an example to follow, but he didn't know Jesus. He'd not confessed his sin. He'd not repented, changed his mind about himself and about God. And one day, a well-meaning Christian friend decided this was going to be it. I'm going to win this guy 
to Jesus. And so he spent a couple of hours talking to him and pleading with him. He explained the way of salvation. He, he, he did everything he could to speak clearly, to speak with passion, to present the gospel, presented it in a well-reasoned fashion, and eventually, after much pressure, the man prayed the sinner's prayer. And immediately, the guy stopped coming to church. The friend couldn't understand it. But he's given his heart to Jesus. I heard him pray the prayer. Why did he stop coming to church? Because he had been talked into something that was not real. And he knew he couldn't follow through with it. And because he knew he couldn't follow through with it, he avoided coming to church. He avoided the people that he met in the high street. He avoided the people that he knew. Because deep down he knew that what he had said wasn't true. Now eventually he did come to faith. Eventually he did repent and he turned to Jesus. But up until that point, if anyone asked him if he was a believer, if he was a Christian, he used to reply and say this, Yes, Tom told me I was. What a difference when the Holy Spirit gives us assurance. So what is the power of God spoken of at the end of verse 5? It's the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God. Romans chapter 1 verse 16 explains it so beautifully for us. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So the final question I ask you this evening, and we've asked it time and time again, do you believe? Do you really believe that Jesus Christ died for you? Do you know the power of God pumping through your veins? Do you know that you have been saved? And that nobody can take that salvation away from you. There is nothing you can do that will lose it. Romans 3.23, we know this verse so very well. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know Romans 6, verse 23. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Do you know the power of God living and working in you today, tonight? Have you called to him for your salvation. I urge you please. Don't let yet another week go by.
without doing this. God's waiting to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. And he'll save you as you repent and put your trust in him. And when you do that, he'll fill your life and heart with power that you have never experienced before because the gospel always brings that power. So please, call to him before it's too late. God's patient, I'll tell you that. And he's waiting for you. Father, we thank you for the words that we have read this evening. We thank you for the Apostle Paul as he went to that city of Corinth, and yet we realize that there's no difference between the Corinthians and their heart and their sinfulness and our hearts and our sinfulness. As we read from Romans chapter 1, Paul could have been talking about us. Any city here in Ontario, in Canada, in North America, in Europe. And I pray this evening that we will close this day knowing the power of God through the gospel at work in our lives. All Paul could do was preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's all we can do because it's the commandment that you gave us. And so, gracious Heavenly Father, we call to you now to save us. In Jesus' name we pray.